Welcome to Focus on the Founder. This is your host, Alan Miller from Matrix Partners. Today, we're very fortunate to be joined by Zach Perret, the founder and CEO of Plaid. Welcome, Zach. Thanks for having me. So, Zach, your background is, is, is pretty interesting. You actually started off uh, at Duke and studied physics and chemistry. And from there, ended up going and, and being a, a consultant at Bain for a little bit of time. And then very soon after that, pretty soon after undergrad, you started Plaid. So can you help connect the dots a little bit and tell me kind of what the journey was like and kind of what led you to to starting Plaid? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my, my background's a little bit weird. And um, I think maybe to preface everything, no one, no one starts out saying they want to go build a financial plumbing company or a financial infrastructure company. Um, certainly not uh, at, at the age that we ended up doing it. Um, we were really lucky to end up working on something that we loved that uh, maybe was a little bit non-obvious to outsiders. Um, so I uh, spent a bunch of time in a physics lab um, working on software for laser systems uh, towards the end of my undergrad. Really thought I was going to go get a PhD. Um, spent some time afterwards still working in that same lab and, and um, scaling out those systems. And then kind of along the way, became disenchanted with the concept of a PhD. Um, academia takes a really long time to get anything done. Um, and frankly, I wanted to learn a bit more about the business world. So I had this, this wonderful friend that convinced me to interview at Bain, um, which was a really great experience. Uh, learned a ton being there. I only uh, really stuck around for about 14 months, um, but uh, learned a ton about uh, the business side of the world. And then uh, kind of pulling back, um, realized that uh, consulting, while it's excellent and a great training grounds and, and made a lot of really good friends there, um, your ultimate output is a recommendation, a uh, slide deck, and then you hand it off to someone that's going to go execute. And I wanted to be more in the thick of things executing. Along the way, actually, um, I had met uh, now my co-founder, um, this guy, William, one of the smartest people that I had ever met. Um, who was a software engineer, um, and we kind of connected uh, because we were the two people that knew how to write code. Um, and so we started working on uh, the, the two people that knew how to write code at Bain. Um, so we started working on a bunch of these side project applications just for fun, um, thinking about how can we build a better budgeting tool, how can we build a better way to analyze data. Um, financial services was always interesting to us, um, and so we started creating these, these consumer side projects. And as that scaled, um, we found that there was just this missing set of infrastructure. So building things in financial technology was really, really hard. Um, there were a lot of barriers to entry, and there weren't a lot of tools focused on making it simple for uh, developers to create things. Um, so we spent you know, the majority of our time, and even in these side projects, just thinking about how do, we, how do we integrate with financial institutions? How do we allow a consumer to use their bank account on the internet? And eventually uh, realized that this, this in itself was, was a really hard problem. And there was probably a lot of demand out there for people to, to do things like we were doing. So trying to create consumer applications um, based on uh, the bank account. Along the way, I uh, ended up meeting uh, now a friend of mine, uh, this guy that ran engineering at Venmo. Um, and he said, hey, I have the same problem. Um, can we license that backend software that you're working on? And we think it could be really interesting. Um, and so I uh, found a few other folks that were thinking about creating financial technology applications in those early days that had the same problem that we did. Uh, and that ended up turning into us building the infrastructure that um, when we launched, um, you know, only had a few hundred users, but very quickly Venmo was using it at really large scale. And that kind of pulled us into the market in a way that um, we couldn't have imagined. So uh, it was a really 
you know, happy story and, and we were excited to end up where we did. Frankly, uh, what we realized is along the way, we loved building the infrastructure and creating things for consumers was certainly not our specialty. Uh, there are other people that are much better at that than us. So we, we kind of lucked out in falling into this market that had a huge amount of demand, was growing really, really quickly and that we loved focusing on. Yeah, totally. It's a great, great story. So at, at some point you had to have this sort of uh, conviction to go all in, right? And, and actually build Plaid. At what point in kind of the journey did this sort of projects that you were working on with Will um, turn into this conviction that, hey, there's a real opportunity here and we need to go? Was there like a, a light bulb moment for you? Uh, you know, it, it was a little bit of a progression. Uh, frankly, we, um, we'd we been working on these projects for a while. They were quite interesting. Both of us were a little bit disenchanted with the concept of making recommendations to Fortune 500 companies um, and wanted to get a little closer to creating something ourselves. Um, and so both of us left Bain to kind of go a little bit more deeply on the side projects, but it wasn't at that point a company. And our intent was never to really start a company. We just wanted to pursue this full time uh, and see what would come of it. Um, and it turns out that the company we ended up creating was not exactly what we'd originally started working on. But I, I wouldn't say that there was an aha moment for us. Um, it was much more of a natural progression of us saying, hey, we, you know, we, we don't love making slide decks. Uh, we do like writing code. This is much more interesting. And then, then that turning into something that was really exciting long term. Cool. Very cool. So we've kind of, uh, we've kind of talked a little bit about it, but what, how would you just describe Plaid's mission to someone who's you know, from the outside not really familiar with it? Uh, yeah, so uh, happy to, to go through the mission, uh, which is to uh, enable innovation by delivering access to the financial system. Um, from our side, we think about uh, wanting to create an ecosystem where there's a lot of applications that are ultimately serving the consumer very, very well. Uh, if you look at many surveys, um, what you'll notice is that uh, the number one stress on most consumers is financial stress. And a, a big portion of that is because we don't have as much money as we might hope we do. Uh, we certainly never, n never could. Um, but uh, another large portion of uh, why there's so much stress around financial services is that consumers feel underserved by the financial system. They feel misinformed. They feel like there's a lack of data uh, and they feel like no one's really looking out for them. Um, and when you think about the model of, of banking, at least historically, um, most banks make money when consumers lose, lose money. So um, if a bank charges an overdraft fee, the bank is making revenue and the consumer is losing money. If a bank charges a higher interest rate, the bank is making revenue and the consumer is losing uh, money. Um, even in the case where the incentives are slight, slightly aligned, which is assets under management fees, um, still the bank's incentive is to maximize that fee and the consumer's incentive is obviously to minimize it. Um, so our answer to that was, um, one, let's, let's create a system where there's a lot of people trying to innovate on behalf of the consumer. Um, and those people can be the banks. The banks can be building really great new products. But we also wanted to open up a broader ecosystem where uh, new startups were being created that were thinking about, hey, how can I go create something great? Or large companies were thinking about, hey, how can I build a tool or service that better serves consumers? Um, and so ultimately, what we see now is that the emergence of, of fintech, which really it wasn't a thing when we started the company, um, I like to think that we have just at least 1% to do with that. Um, so the emergence of fintech um, has been really fantastic. And what we're seeing now is a consumer that, say, wants to get a loan. Historically, they had to walk into their bank and talk to their banker. Um, then they could go to Lending Club uh, when Lending Club, amongst its many innovations, put the loan on the Internet at scale. Um, and now there are 50 companies out there that are thinking about consumer lending um, that you can go to on the web and apply for a loan. And ultimately, the consumer's financial life became a huge uh, a great deal simpler um, because there were so many now new things that they can they can interact with and, and, and use. Um, 
And ultimately, we hope that the rates are coming down. Ultimately, we hope the communication is better, the messaging is better, simplicity is, is, is there for the consumer. Um, and so for us, seeing that evolution from a system that had really high barriers to entry, very little innovation, um, and largely dominated by incumbents, to now a system that still largely dominated by incumbents, which, which we think is great. We think the, the banks are actually doing a lot of good, um, but also has a lot of innovation going on. Uh, that's really the, the push for us. Cool. Very cool. Thanks for explaining. Um, so there's, there's sort of two parts to this, right? There's sort of the banks, as you described, and then there's sort of the applications that are being developed. So let's talk about the, the bank side of it. Obviously, it's hard working with financial institutions, typically for startups, um, or it can be. So what were some of the lessons that you learned from engaging with and, and talking to these big banks um, and any things that you would maybe pass on to some of the listeners here who are trying to, trying to you know, work with these big financial institutions? Yeah, I, th I think the first answer is, is just patience. Um, financial institutions move slowly, and they move slowly um, oftentimes for good reasons. So, uh, you know, the largest banks have tens, if not hundreds of millions of consumers that are, that are uh, holding funds with them. Uh, they, uh, they're spending a lot of time thinking about risk and fraud. They have really heavy regulatory burden. Um, and it's essential to realize that and understand that um, banks moving quickly uh, is intentionally discouraged by a lot of the regulators. Um, they want banks to launch things that work really well, um, that have been tested, and that are low risk. Um, and so starting out with the concept of uh, just being willing to work with the bank at the speed that the bank moves is, is essential. Um, and then finding the, the pitch that works with the bank and realizing that the bank has multiple elements within it. Yeah. Um, so one pitch might work with one element. Uh, say you're talking to uh, the team that issues cards. Maybe they're really excited about the tool or service that you're building over there, yet the wealth management folks on the other side might not be so excited. So understanding that the bank works in pockets somewhat uh, and you have to tailor your messaging accordingly. Um, yet uh, also understanding that there is an undercurrent around kind of compliance and legal that um, is shared throughout the bank. And so there's a certain standard that you have to meet. Um, as a company, we actually went through a lot of this work in the early days, um, focused on how do we build out our compliance program? How do we build out our uh, kind of the audits that we've gone through, um, the security infrastructure that we have and, and the way that we display it? Um, and going through that really early allowed us to start having these early conversations with the financial institutions. Um, because for them, uh, you know, having a SOC 2 report in many cases is just non-negotiable. You have to have that document. Um, and if you haven't done it, then they don't even want to talk to you. So uh, we overinvested in compliance in, in the early days, and that really paid off for us down the line. Yeah. You know, one of the things you mentioned uh, there was that, you know, there's different pockets, right? And it tends to be a little bit siloed. So the follow-up question is around how did you determine what was the right sort of entry point into the, into the conversation, right? You know, sometimes you can go through an innovation arm, sometimes you can go through one of the product lines. How did you determine the right way or was it a little bit of a figuring it out as you as you go story? Yeah, you know, we took we took any and all paths. Um, we knew we needed to talk to financial institutions. We knew the infrastructure we were building um, would one day run for millions, if not tens of millions of consumers. And, and now we're excited that it really does. Uh, and so uh, we took any and all paths that we could to get to the financial institution. So yes, we went through innovation arms. Yes, we went directly to them. Um, sometimes uh, one path would work, but another one wouldn't. And um, we wanted to have kind of multiple conversations ongoing at the same time. Gotcha. Cool. So you got the, the banks on board. Uh, took a while to do that, but you finally got them on board. Uh, let's talk about the other side, this sort of consumer app, third-party app side, right? 
Um, let's start with the Venmo story because that's a really interesting one and that actually brought you guys into sort of the mainstream market, if you will. Um, tell me a little bit more about that that story and how you convinced Venmo to, to do this. Oh man, it was actually the inverse. Um, so when we were talking to them, they said, hey, we think we have this need and we think we could, could use your infrastructure to solve it. Um, and we think that the way that you're building your platform is uh, elegant and easy to use. Um, and uh, so when we started talking with them, we originally hadn't built the exact feature set that they were looking for. They were looking for a slight modification of our feature set. Um, and actually, our first few conversations with them, uh, we were saying, no, we're not going to build that for you. You know, we're, we're focused, uh, being the, uh, the good entrepreneurs that, that, that listen to podcasts and read about how to, how to build small companies. Uh, in the early days, um, we knew we needed to focus. So, so we actually said no to Venmo for a long time. Uh, eventually, that came full circle and said, well, you know, this opportunity is actually large enough. We can co-develop uh, some of this feature set with them, which we think is highly generalizable. Um, and so uh, ended up uh, starting, starting work on the product that they wanted um, about six months before they actually pushed any volume. Uh, and so we did a bunch of scale testing with them, which for us at the time was really confusing because their volume was much higher than anything that we had seen before, uh, which, which was really great. Um, and so uh, ended up kind of co-developing that early product with them, uh, going through the launch, seeing a lot of scale. We built a lot of infrastructure along the way to try to keep up with uh, the, the demands and the, the scale of their system. Um, and frankly, we came out with uh, this one really amazing customer that we could talk about that um, you know, helped, helped uh, knock over some dominoes with, with a bunch of other customers. But also, we ended up with a system and a set of products that, that were frankly just better for us. Um, so you know, it's, it's going back to that concept of doing things that don't scale. We knew that building a customized piece of infrastructure for Venmo wouldn't, wouldn't be a scalable path for a bunch of customers. But it turns out it was largely reproducible and largely uh, useful to, to, to a larger customer set. So um, that kind of pulled us into the market in a way that we didn't expect, but we were really excited about. Yeah. So once you had Venmo, obviously Venmo, having Venmo on board is, is huge, right? It, it well, really... You have to remember that Venmo was maybe 20 people at the time. So uh, we didn't know that it would be as large as it was. Yeah, that, that is a good point. That is a great point. Um, so what was the what was the what was the conversation then like with customers two, three, four, and five after you had kind of established a relationship with Venmo and had something to show? Um, was it a lot of the sort of same features that they wanted, or did you did you feel like you had to do a little bit more customization for the next set of customers? You know, it, it's interesting. Uh, we actually had customers uh, two through five launch before Venmo launch. Um, really? So uh, what what we found is that uh, so Venmo and, and and their contracting process took a while, so we could get some other customers in market, and that was actually really nice for us. But what we started to see emerge was this concept of of, of fintech, uh, and before it had a label, before it had a name, um, there were a lot of people either working at financial institutions or working at other startups that were thinking about how do we create applications um, that 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 work on um, kind of the problems that consumers are having in their financial lives. Um, you know, Mint had set a really interesting story. Uh, PayPal had, had obviously uh, been the pioneers in this space. Um, and so there was a lot of excitement, but just a lack of infrastructure there. And so what we started to find is that um, as we worked with developers at Venmo and elsewhere, um, the community of developers thinking about um, building financial technology products was pretty small at the time. Um, and they were all talking to each other. Uh, and so the great thing for us is that we were able to grow very organically in the early days, just out of that developer community that knew each other through, uh, you know, open source community or, or the web or, or meetups or things like that. They would actually talk about our product um, and then they'd start to build these side projects or, uh, you know, just apps that, that, that wouldn't scale. And, 
And then eventually they found that they could bring those back into either the companies that they worked on or the companies that they were starting um, to, to, to build functionality that had never really been there before. So largely our go-to-market strategy was driven by developer community and the community of people trying to innovate in financial services, um, which, uh, you know, as a small startup, it's, it's the greatest thing you can have because your customer acquisition is really, really cheap. Yeah, totally. Definitely. Um, cool. So let's shift gears a little bit here. So um, you mentioned a lot about fintech companies and what we've seen at Matrix is we've seen a lot of kind of companies that are building alternatives to credit scores, right? Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked to Shivani Soroya Tala, uh, who's doing this in sort of the emerging market world. Um, so you've now built these tools that are, are great uh, for visualization, for infrastructure, for analyzing spend patterns and so on and so forth. Um, and have all this data, right? This pretty interesting data um, flowing through your system. So do you think Plaid will ever play a role in in credit, whether it's kind of establishing an alternative to like a credit score or, or some other play um, in the space? Uh, it's a great question. Um, we do already do a lot of work with lenders, but uh, as we think about what the future holds, um, you know, there, there are a set of problems that, and I'd love to find ways to, to solve them. It's a question of just resource allocation. Um, so as, as we think about lending, you know, the, the concept of a credit score is um, frankly kind of a surprising one. Um, it's a black box. It's a 400 to 850 scale. Um, and it, it doesn't necessarily um, make sense to most people. Most people have no idea what the inputs and outputs are. Most people don't understand how it's calculated. Um, and frankly, most people don't, don't look at it as much as they should, uh, given its relevance to our, to our lives, both financial and non-financial. Um, and so the, the underlying inputs to a credit score are just a, a set of data points. So it's data about uh, how you pay back loans, uh, how you um, kind of spend money, what kinds of assets you have, what your cash flow is. Um, and ultimately, our, our thought is that this is just data. Um, and if we can pull out those data elements and deliver them to lenders, um, they can flow them into their credit models. Uh, it could lead to a much simpler and easier way to, to, to kind of decide on giving a loan to someone or not giving a loan to someone. So we're thinking really actively about this concept. Um, we don't like the fact that uh, the current credit scoring system is non-inclusive. Uh, a lot of people at the edges that might have a really, really high income, but very limited credit history are not able to do the things that they need to do in their financial lives. Um, and ultimately that's just a data problem. Um, most of the problems in, in, in credit scoring and lending generally are just data problems. Um, what, what we think of as a company is that we are here to provide the data inputs um, to those that are then making the data decisions. So lenders are really fantastic at building credit models and, and um, we ultimately are just kind of a backbone that can then give them the data they would need uh, to flow into their credit models. So as, as we think about going forward, um, we'd love to build some more tools, some more refined uh, data elements that we can deliver uh, to, these, to these lenders. Um, but uh, as I mentioned before, it's a question of resource allocation. Uh, you know, being a startup, we've got a million things to do, so we're trying to figure out how to prioritize. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Cool. So, you know, obviously with 2017, the big story was crypto um, and blockchain. And, and obviously um, Coinbase had a great year and there was a lot of um, companies that kind of bubbled up. So do you have any thoughts on the blockchain world? Uh, I'll leave it pretty open-ended, but... Um, kind of the intersect of blockchain and fintech. Where do you, where do you see this going, and do you have any thoughts on on it? Yeah, the honest answer is I'm probably not the best one to comment on that. I think um, we've seen a lot of exciting stuff uh, come out of the blockchain and cryptocurrency world. Um, we are fortunate to get to power a lot of the kind of fiat to crypto exchanges, 
Um, so we work with companies like like Gemini, like Coinbase, and so on and so forth um, to help uh, consumers connect in their bank accounts and actually you know, put money onto the blockchain or also take it off uh, if, you're, if you're pulling money out, uh, as you might have in the past few weeks. Um, so uh, that's kind of the, the exposure that we have. As that space continues to grow, uh, we'll be monitoring it really closely. Ultimately, um, we think of ourselves as an infrastructure provider, kind of an enabler of innovation um, in financial services broadly. Um, and if there's something for us to do in, in, in the crypto or blockchain space, um, we'd love to help. Um, but right now, we're much more focused on traditional fiat currencies. Yeah. That's interesting that you mentioned the exchanges. There's a there's a whole. It seems like there's a whole ecosystem being built around the exchanges, right? Custodial services. We have a company that we incubated at Matrix, um, wallets, all these things. Do you imagine yourselves, or are you getting any already any requests to sort of help be the, the sort of backbone behind some of that stuff, or is it still uh, early days? Yeah, it's probably too early days to to to, um, to really dig in on that stuff for us. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Uh, so I guess then the last question for you is just broadening it out from there. Where do you see financial services going in the next sort of five to 10 years? And if you weren't doing Plaid, maybe what's another company that you think you might go out and build? It's a good question. Um, so financial services uh, in the next few years, frankly, we're, we're really encouraged to see a, a massive swing towards technology. Um, and, you know, you've seen this in, in every other every other industry, but um, we're now really starting to see it in financial services. So, so the big banks are saying that, hey, we're, we're technology companies. There are small startups that are building new things that consumers love and, and continue to use. Um, there are large established businesses, um, let's say a, a utilities provider, um, that actually run a massive billing system. And they're now starting to consider that as a piece of financial technology that they're running in-house. Um, so we've seen this huge swing towards technology, which we're incredibly excited for. Um, and we're fortunate to get to power, um, you know, a piece of that and, and hopefully much more soon. Um, but uh, financial services still has a really long way to go. Um, a lot of legacy infrastructure still exists. Um, many, many pieces of functionality that, that a consumer might need, you're forced to walk into a branch and talk to a banker and, and that's not always accessible or easy for you to do. Um, not all of the things that we want to do are digital. Um, there's still massive problems around uh, things like identity verification or uh, risk and fraud. Uh, credit scoring obviously is a, is a big challenge still. Um, so there's there's a really long way to go. Um, and what we think about is how do we enable kind of like the digital financial future, the the set of innovations that are going to fundamentally change uh, the financial lives of consumers and businesses. Um, and so we're excited to continue to, to iterate there. Um, some of the trends we're starting to see emerge. Um, one big one is automation. Um, so, you know, the, the concept of your bank account just existing and you having to go in and write a check for every bill you want to pay. Um, or check the balance every week to make sure that, you know, you didn't end up overdrafting yourself. Um, that kind of stuff is, is uh, it's kind of crazy that it still exists. Um, and so we're seeing a big push towards uh, kind of bill pay automation, investment automation, savings automation. Um, we've seen a lot of tools come out that are just helping you protect yourself against overdrafts or um, ensure that your money is going to the right place that it needs to go. Um, and so I, I think with that trend towards automation, we're going to see um, you know, an increase in, in the, the sense of financial security that people are going to have um, because there's something watching out for you. Even if it's a bot, it's, it's watching out for you. Um, so that's one really big trend. A second really big trend is uh, the financial institutions really coming full circle and embracing uh, financial technology. And um, we've seen this with Goldman Sachs launching this, this division called Marcus, uh, which does largely consumer lending. But uh, there was an article recently about them potentially acquiring Clarity. Um, and uh, so it sounds like their ambitions are, are much beyond just consumer lending. Um, and that's really exciting. 
Uh, you know, we've seen uh, financial institutions with acquiring or partnering with a lot of other financial technology companies, WePay being a great example, uh, OnDeck Capital being another one, both partnerships or acquisitions done by Chase. Um, and so I expect that the financial institutions will continue to be much more active there. Um, and then I think that the pace of innovation is just going to continue to increase. Um, so, you know, what we've seen is that uh, financial services, financial technology is now becoming uh, kind of a mainstay of, uh, of applications being launched every YC batch um, of, of new, new innovators coming in and thinking about, hey, how can I create a startup? How can I create something new that, that fundamentally touches the consumer? The impact you can have on a consumer's life is just it's so great um, when you when you give them a better financial future. Um, that I expect we'll continue to see a ton of innovation just focused on on solving even the most basic problems for consumers. Um, problems like, is my money where, where I think it's going to be? Or how do I save our money? Or, or how do I financially plan for the future? Um, I expect we're going to see like a continued focus on that from from the startup community. Yeah, it's totally, totally exciting times, which is why we're, we're excited to be investing in the space. Um, well, cool. I think that's about all we have time for for today. Um, so thank you so much, Zach. Really appreciate it. And uh, good luck with everything you've planned. Thank you. Bye.